When I ask you a question to begin this morning, you ever failed God? Have you ever failed God? I guess all of us would answer yes to that question. And sometimes we fail God and we don't realize it till later on, do we? I guess if I were to ask you, have you ever failed God, do you know how? Maybe some of you even in this room are thinking right now, yeah, I know of one specific thing or multiple specific things where I failed God. I want to share a personal story with you of a failure, a time when I failed God. And um, frankly, I'll be honest, I'm a little embarrassed to tell you about it. Uh, But the Lord really strongly moved upon me as I was working on the message that I needed to share this story with you. And I I will be honest, uh, I've yet to be able to tell it and not get emotional about it. So forgive me if I do. Um, I I was relating it again and talking to my wife Friday night. We were eating and uh, it became very emotional for me there. And uh, in the first service, it was very emotional for me. And I've asked the Lord to help me to keep my emotions in check. Um, but uh, at any rate, I want to tell you about something that happened to me where I genuinely failed God. And it happened, uh, I guess, about a year ago, a little less than a year ago. We had gone to Nashville to uh, visit the grand, our grandson at that time. Now we have two. But we'd gone to visit uh, our grandson. You know, when you get, become grandparents, you quit visiting your kids. You go visit your grandkids. The kids are just kind of supplemental, but you go visit the grandkids. And so we'd gone up to uh, visit really all of them, and um, it was very, very cold. And the day before we were going to leave on that afternoon, I thought, well, I'm going to run out and fill my car up. Uh, so in the morning when we leave, my car will have uh, full tank. And so there's a particular service station that we use when we travel there. And, uh, and so uh, I just threw a, a light jacket on and just um, um, jumped in my car, uh, drove down to this station. And it had been raining. Um, it was bitterly cold. The wind was blowing. There was snow coming down, and, and, and I, it was about right around freezing. And um, I'm standing there pumping gas in my car, and I have to tell you, I'm just freezing to death. And, and you've been there before, and that wind is just cutting, just cutting through me. And so I'm trying to uh, keep the pump, and it didn't have an automatic thing on it, you know, and so I can't sit down my car and get warm. I'm having to hold the pump and pump the gas. And as I'm doing that, uh, um, a car pulls up to the pumps next, well, right on the other side of me. And initially, I didn't think anything about it, but um, um, a woman, a young woman gets out, a young mom gets out, and she walks around. I th- thought she was going to the pumps, but she w- walks around to where I am. And I happen to notice that there's a child in the car seat in the back and an elderly woman uh, in the front, her mother. And she was trying to take her mother somewhere. I don't remember precisely where. But she said to me, she said, Sir, she said, do you have $5 that I could just put a couple of gallons of gas in my car? And I know this may 
sound unusual to you, but I, I didn't have $5, and it never dawned on me that there was another way. I, I said, I, said I, I, don't, I don't. I'm so sorry. I don't have it. And she said, well, that's okay. And she went back around, and she got in her car, and she pulled out of the parking lot, and she, I watched them kind of head out, and she turned onto a highway and was gone. And I finished filling up my car, and it suddenly dawned on me, you fool. Why didn't you just pull out your check card and put it in the, the pump? And I know that's probably very obvious to you, but it, at the time, I, she, she asked me for cash, and I, I'm thinking cash, 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 and it never dawned on me. And, and when she disappeared, I thought, why didn't you just say, I'll just fill your car up? And I didn't. And I drove out. And when I drove out, I began to sob. I began to sob so hard that I had to pull off and pull into a parking lot. And I put my head down on my steering wheel. And I could see that mom and that child and that elderly woman. And I'm sobbing. And I'm sobbing. And I can't get control of my emotions. And I remember... In that moment, begging God, I said, God, I'm sorry. I just missed, I just missed Jesus. And I begged him, God, would you forgive me? Forgive me. And in fact, I didn't go back to the house for a while. I couldn't. I was, my emotions were so strong. And I, I just didn't want to walk in the house and them see me and say, what happened? And I sat there and I prayed and I, I, I wept. And in that moment, the reason I grieved as I did was because Jesus brought his word back to me. And it says, and the righteous will, the righteous will say, Lord, when did we see you thirsty and not give you something to drink? When did we see you hungry and not feed you? When did we see you needing clothing and not clothe you? When did we see you in prison and not come and visit you? And that passage from Matthew came back to me where Jesus said, if you've done it, to the least of these, you've done it to me. And if you have not done it to the least of these, you have not done it to me. And I knew in that moment, you say, well, it was a, it was a, a, a young mom and a child. In that moment, it was Jesus. And I knew as I sat there in my car that I had failed Jesus. That he had stood there at a gas pump. And I, I let him down. And I said, God, 
forgive me for missing you. And I prayed for that. I prayed for, I, I tell you, if I could have tracked her down, I would have tracked her down. If I could have found her, I would have found her. And, but she was gone. I said, Jesus, please, please do for her what I didn't do. And I begged him. I said, God, forgive me for missing you. Forgive me for failing you. And God, if you will give me another opportunity, I won't fail you again. Give me another opportunity. Well, nothing happened there, okay? I, she didn't come driving in into the uh, parking lot or anything like that. I, we came back to Dothan. And I didn't tell my family about it. I was just too embarrassed. I just was too embarrassed. We came on back to Dothan. And I have to tell you, my heart was still grieving. And uh, we got back to Dothan. And we were here for a couple, I don't know, a week or maybe longer. And I one day was coming out of a restaurant here in Dothan in the parking lot. And I'm walking toward my car. And as I am, a woman walks up to me. And she says, sir, I wonder, would you be able to buy a meal for me and my husband? And he was sitting in a car right over here in the, in the parking lot. She said, we haven't eaten in three days, and we're terribly hungry. Now, she didn't know about the other thing, but she didn't know this was her day. And I said, well, I said, yes, I'll, I'll, buy, you, I'll buy you a meal. But I said, I'm not just buy you a meal. I said, I, let me give you enough money to buy you an, a, a lunch and dinner and breakfast at least tomorrow and maybe more. And um, I said, just promise me one thing. Just promise me that you're going to use it for food and nothing else. She said, I promise you. She said, we're, we are just so hungry. And best I could tell, they went into the restaurant uh, to eat. And you might say, well, that redeemed it all. Well, I don't know if that redeemed it. That wasn't even the point. The point was... I failed because I wasn't paying attention. I failed because I failed God because I was more concerned about me and how cold I was. And you might say, well, you, <laughs> your brain was frozen. Well, it, it was. But I failed God, and I knew I'd failed God. And you may say, well, Pastor, in the grand list of failures. There are a lot of ways you could have failed God a lot worse. But in that moment, I didn't think there was any way I could fail God any worse. <clears throat> and it's not about the scope of failure. It's about the fact of failure. All of us fail, and all of us have failed God. Have you failed Jesus? Have you failed him? Now, if you say, well, no, I can't think of any failure where you just lied and you failed him. All of us have failed and will fail 
God again. The question becomes, what do you do when you have failed God? This morning, that's what I want to talk with you about. And, and I want you to stay with me to the end of this message because at the very end, I'm going to, I'm going to give you three things to do when you fail God. I'm not even going to say if you fail God because it's more when you fail God. And I'm going to give you three things to do when you fail God from the story uh, and from Scripture. But first, I want to show you a story in the Scripture that is a story of epic failure. In fact, it's a story that probably most of us have heard or read at some point in time. So follow along with me, if you will, in verse 36 of John chapter 13. It says, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus answered him, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now. But you will follow afterward. And Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. And Jesus answered, will you lay down your life? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. Father, would you take your word this morning and would you use it to minister grace to our hearts? Would you speak to us? Father, we have all failed. Father, we want to handle our failures properly. We want to do what we ought to do with our failures. So, Father, speak to us this morning from your word. Teach us new things. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, you know, I've been speaking to you for the past several weeks, um, sharing some messages with you that the Lord gave me on my time away. This is one of them. And uh, I've been sharing out of what we call the uh, farewell address of Jesus. It's his farewell instructions. It's his farewell dialogue to the disciples. He's about to be arrested and he's going to be crucified and he's given them these final instructions so that they'll know how to deal with the matters of life that they're going to face. This is still part of that. In fact, this portion of it is actually on the front side of the farewell address. And so he's still addressing his followers and he addresses Peter in particular. Um, I sometimes think that God made Peter a disciple just so I would have somebody that I could identify with. Because I really identify with Peter, how often my mouth has got me in trouble. And I sometimes think, God, you made him a disciple so, so me and I guess a whole lot of people could identify with. But it's also a story about how we can overestimate our commitment, how we can overestimate how committed we are to the Lord. And it is a story also of love and compassion. The fact that Jesus didn't cast him aside. Jesus knew exactly what he was going to do. And Jesus didn't just say, Peter, you know what? I can't have people like you operating in the kingdom because you embarrass me, you embarrass my name, you embarrass the kingdom. And Peter, I got to have better than that. Aren't you glad that Jesus didn't say that to Peter? Because if he had said that to Peter, he would be by extension having to say that to all of us, right? And so it's a story of his love and his compassion for Peter, and it's a story ultimately that leads to restoration. So as we examine this story this morning, 
I want us to notice at least three what I think are primary observations from those verses, all right? So here's number one, first observation. And that is we see Peter's presumed faithfulness. When Peter makes that statement, verse 37, I'll lay down my life for you. He says, now, Jesus, why can't I go with you? Don't you know, I will lay my life down with you. Now, other gospels tell the same part of the story. You've probably read the account in the other um, uh, gospels where Peter, I mean, it expands the conversation. And Peter says in the other gospels, he says, hey, Lord, if everybody else deserts you, not me. Not me, Lord. You won't have to worry about me. And, and John clarifies it as Peter says, in fact, I'll lay down my life with you. So anywhere you're going right now, I can go because I'm willing, if you're going to die, I'm willing to die with you. It's a bold statement, isn't it? And you know what? I have to tell you, I love Peter's heart here because I really believed, I really believe that Peter believed in that moment he would in fact lay his life down. So I don't think Peter was saying something that he, he didn't believe at the moment, but I think Peter thought that he was just uh, serious enough about his commitment that he'd do whatever he needed to do. And there's nothing wrong with being bold. But in this case, Peter's boldness was presumptuous, and it was really because he was operating out of his flesh. And one of the ways we know that, if you read on to the, rest, uh, uh, the arrest account of Jesus... Peter, you know what he does? He pulls out his sword and he cuts off a centurion's ear. And Jesus said, this is not the place for that. Jesus heals the centurion's ear. So at this stage, Peter's pretty bold for Christ, but it's all a work of his flesh. See, it's not the spirit. He yanks his sword out. He's operating out of his own fleshly power and presumption. And so he presumes that if push comes to shove, that he will boldly stand for Christ. Peter just assumed that his commitment in Christ was rock solid. No matter what testing might come, he just presumed and he just assumed that he would not cave in. If everybody else caves in, and by the way, Peter failed, but so did the other disciples. Don't, yeah, we sometimes say, well, you know, it was just Peter. The fact that, think about what, think about what else happened. The Bible says that the other disciples, they ran and hid. They went into hiding. But Peter is so bold in his statements and everything, we always identify Peter. But he thought, man, my commitment's so deep, you won't ever have a problem with me caving in. Now, I want to tell you something. The day is coming when you and I are going to be tested like Peter was about following Jesus. The day is coming. Can you all see it? The day is coming when you're going to be tested about being a follower of Christ. And that's why we need to have a fortified faith. That's why we cannot presume that our commitment is so strong that we will, we, we will not capitulate. Uh, we sometimes say, well, I, you know, if it comes, I'm good. One of the, I have to tell you something. One of the things I pray is, Lord, in the, te- in the hour of testing, let me stand. It's easy to be bold until you're put in that place, isn't it? Oh, not me, Lord. That's what Peter said. And listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 24. He said, then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And listen to this. And then many will fall away. That in the Greek is to apostatize. It means to give up the truth, to give up what you 
what you know to be the truth. The Bible says that that day is coming where many, I think we're already seeing some of that, where many will give up the truth. They'll say, man, I'm not you know, one of those who believe everything that's in the Bible uh, has to be followed or is true. The day is coming. That's called the falling away. And listen, and, and he, he's speaking about those who are the confessors of follower, as followers of Christ, who believe my commitment is so solid, I'll never give up the truth. I'll never give up the thing. I'll never cave in to any of the pressures uh, uh, to, uh, about what it means to follow Christ. By the way, the, the, the series I'm going to begin in a couple of weeks is entitled, What Does It Mean to Be a Follower of Christ? But that, that, the, the test, Jesus said it will come, and many will fall away. And then, listen, he adds this, and betray one another and hate one another. It's a remarkable thing today to see, even in the biblical, uh, biblically solid churches, the division that's beginning to grow, a lot of it cultural uh, pressure and social pressure and all of those sorts of things. If I were the devil, I would be laughing right now because uh, it, it, God's people are even becoming divided and polarized and all of these kinds of things. Well, that's exactly what Jesus said, get ready, it's coming. Now, we have some good news because of the resurrection, which I'll close with here in just a, a little bit. But because of the resurrection, we also now have the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit inside of us, if he is presiding over us, enables us to stand, to face, uh, to be who God has created us to be. But Peter just assumed that his commitment to Christ was rock solid. I want to ask you this morning, have you made that assumption? Oh, I'm just, I'm, I'm in. Have you made that assumption? Peter's confidence was in his own flesh. He, he believed strongly that he was above serious sin. And there are two scriptures that came to mind. Number one, 1 Corinthians 10, 12, where Paul writes and says, Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. Do you know there was a time in the ministry of Jesus, before he ever gets here, where Jesus is teaching and people are, they, I mean, this is when he was popular. And, and, I mean, anywhere he went, just multitudes would come to where he was. And they came to where he was because they knew one of several things. If you're sick, he's going to heal you. Uh, he's, gonna, he's going to address the hypocrisy of the Pharisees, and you know they love to hear that. And if you're hungry, he's going to feed you. And so they just swarmed after him. But... On one occasion, when they're following him in mass, it says that Jesus spoke some hard words to them. And then it adds, and many of his disciples turned and walked with him no more. They fell away. Why? I can only go so far with following Jesus. They thought they were all in. And, and it's interesting to me that it says that they were disciples. Disciples, meaning they were followers, doesn't necessarily mean they were real believers. Because in the time of difficulty, that's, that's too much for me. That, what Jesus is teaching is too hard for me to swallow. And they turned and they walked with him no more. Jesus said that hour is coming one day when many will fall away. And they'll say, I, I can't stand. Uh, another scripture that came to my mind was Philippians 3.3. 3. Paul says, for we are of the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus, and we put no confidence in the flesh. No confidence. 
Peter's presumption was because his confidence was in himself. I got this. I can handle this. He was one of the strongest. Now, Peter was. He was one of the strongest followers uh, of Christ. But he was weaker than he thought he was. And listen to me. So are you. So am I. Paul says in Galatians 6.3, if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. So it's all presumption on Peter's part based on, I just think I got this. And here's a lesson. Boldness for God without the lordship of Christ will end, uh, will end in failure. Boldness for God without the lordship of Jesus Christ will always ultimately end in failure. But why? Because it's, it's driven by the flesh and not by the Spirit. All right, here's the second observation I want you to get. All right, that's Peter's presumed faithfulness. The second thing is Peter's prophesied failure. Peter's prophesied failure is given to him by Jesus in verse 38, in which Jesus says to him, look, Peter, uh, I want to tell you, the rooster will not crow until you have denied me three times. Jesus said, Peter, let me give you the truth. You're going to deny me, and you're going to do it three times. And listen to this. You're going to do it in the next 24 hours. Three times you're going to do it. Now, Jesus is not being critical, and he's not being harsh toward Peter, but he's being honest, and he's trying to prepare Peter for the future. Peter, I know what's ahead for you, and you're going to deny me three times before you even hear the rooster crow in the morning. And you see, Jesus has plans for Peter. He's going to use Peter in magnificent ways. Peter will help uh, powerfully in the, the, the creation of the early church in the book of Acts. But first, there's something that has to happen to Peter that Jesus knew, and that is that his self-confidence and his self-dependence had to be broken. Because as much as Jesus wanted to use him, Jesus knew until he is broken, it will be tough to use him in the power of the Holy Spirit. This wasn't uh, the last time, by the way, that Peter would fail. Did you know that? In the book of Galatians chapter 2, we find Paul has to confront Peter. And he has to confront Peter because of doctrinal, biblical, gospel issues that Peter is caving into under pressure from the religious culture. Hello? And Paul rebukes him. In fact, the way Paul says it, I rebuked him right to his face. This isn't, the, this isn't the last time Peter fails, what we read here. Peter would uh, fail uh, again. And, and listen to me, I am not a prophet but I want to predict something about all of us here today, and that is we are going to fail Jesus again. You're going to fail him. I'm going to fail him again. It's, it is a matter of fact. You don't have to be a prophet to know that. And by the way, Peter didn't just fail once. You say, no, he failed twice. You just told us about it. No, no. Do you realize we call this, you know, the denial? We say that's, that's a failure. Think about it, class. Peter didn't fail once here. He failed three times within 24 hours. He failed God. Three times in 24 hours he, he failed. Uh, uh, so he failed quickly. But failure doesn't have to be final, and it doesn't have to be fatal. It all depends on how we respond to, to Christ when we, we fail. That determines how God can use us and how Jesus can move through us in the future. You see, 
Peter failed and grieved, and I'll talk about this at the end, and he turned back to God. There was another man who failed. You know who he was? Judas. Judas failed, and he turned the other way. In fact, the Bible says of both of them that when Peter realized, it says he wept bitterly. When Judas, after he had sold Christ out, when he realized what he did, the Bible says he took the silver and he threw it back at the feet of those who had paid him, and then he wept bitterly. Both of them grieved bitterly, but one turned to God and the other took his life. The Bible says that Judas went out and hanged himself. You see, failure doesn't have to be final or fatal. It's all about how we respond to our failure with God that determines what God can do through us in the future. Thomas Edison's manufacturing facilities in West Orange, New Jersey, in December of 1914, burned to the ground. Everything burned up. And it was estimated that in, think about this, in 1914, that Edison lost almost $1 million worth of equipment. Who knows how much it would have been worth today? Almost a million dollars worth of equipment, and he lost almost all of his files and records regarding his inventions. It burned to the ground. And the next day, Edison is walking through the rubble, the burned rubble that, that is left, and All of his hopes, all of his work, all of his dreams are gone. It's gone. And yet the 67-year-old Edison made this statement as he walked through the burned rubble. He says, well, there is value in disaster. He says, now all of our mistakes have burned up. We can now start new. Friend, I want to tell you, let, let me give you a part of this story that is not told here. It's over in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 22, and it is this story. This is the context of the story. It's kind of the rest of the story. And it's a, it's a place where Jesus, you know, Simon or Peter is saying, I'll, you know, I'll lay down my life, I'm with you, I'm all in, this kind of stuff. And Jesus says to him, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded to have you. Just time out for a second. Now, let me tell you some good news. Satan cannot come after you if you're a child of God without going through the Father for permission. There's a Father filter for us. And Jesus says, Simon, listen, Satan has desired you to have you. And he says, in fact, that he might sift you like wheat. And then he adds this, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. Did you, did you know Jesus is still praying for you? The Bible says he ever lives to intercede for us. Did you know in chapter 17, it's what we call the high priestly prayer of Jesus. In chapter 17, Jesus is praying for the disciples after he's gone. He's praying uh, for them. And it adds this statement. Jesus adds this statement. He's talking to God. He lets us hear his prayer. And he adds this statement. I, not only for these, meaning his disciples, but I pray also for those after them who believe. Guess who that is? That's us. 2,000 years ago, Jesus was praying for you. And he still, the Bible says, he, he ever lives to, to intercede for the saints. So here's some good news. 
Jesus knew that Peter was going to fail, and he knows that you are going to fail, but he can still use you for his glory. Because, listen to the rest of the statement, okay? But Peter, I've prayed for you. Listen how he finishes it. And then Jesus says this to him. And when you have turned again, strengthen the brothers. Isn't that a remarkable statement? Do you get it? Do y'all get that? Y'all get what he was saying? You, you catch that? He's saying, Peter, you're going to fail. He said, but I've prayed for you. And he says, when you return to the right path, strengthen your brothers. Strengthen the sisters. Strengthen the church. Strengthen the believers. Let them know that they can go forward. You know what? That's good news. Because Jesus says, your failure doesn't have to be final. And by the way, there's some of you probably listening by live stream and television today and in this live audience, and you think, my failure is so great. I want to tell you, this is, this is um, the story of Peter is a story of encouragement and hope and patience and endurance and the love of God for us. And that leads me to the last thing that I want you to see, the last observation I want to make, and that is, Peter's promised future. So we have Peter's presumed faithfulness. We have Peter's prophesied failure by Jesus, but we have Peter's promised future. And this is good. And we go back up to verse 36 and we see this where, where Simon asked him, says, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus answered him, uh, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now. But here it is, underline this, but you will follow afterward. That's a promise from Jesus to Peter. It is a promise that has been reiterated in, in the Gospels for all of us, all of us that belong to Jesus. We have this ultimate promise that even though we have failed, our failure is not final. And we have the promise of eternity with Christ in heaven it's the reason in the very next chapter it leads into, notice what it leads into. After he says, you're going to fail me three times, and then it says, but let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. And I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself that where I am there you may be also. Do you get what Jesus is saying? He's saying, look, you're going to fail. You're going to fail. But here's the good news. I, I give you this promise. You can't follow me now, Peter, but you will follow me one day. And by the way, Peter did follow him almost identically. Did you know Peter died a martyr's death by being crucified on a cross? With one exception. Peter said, I'm not worthy to be crucified like my Lord. And Christian history tells us that they crucified him upside down. Because he said, I don't even deserve to be crucified like my Lord. He did follow. He, he, he did follow because he had this promise. And you and I have this promise that our failures here aren't final if we, if we respond properly. In Mere Christianity, a book that I think every believer should read, and by the way, if you have some skeptic or atheist in your clan or in your, uh, in your web of relationships, this is a great book to give them. C.S. Lewis writes in it, he says, If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. 
Did you get that? If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, nothing I can do, there's still that hollowness in me. He says, the most uh, probable explanation is that I wasn't made for this world. I was made for another world. The fact is we're put on earth to serve and glorify Jesus. You are here to serve and glorify Jesus. Jesus doesn't exist to serve and glorify you. You exist to serve and glorify uh, him. You're, you're put on this earth for that, that very task, for the here and now. But listen, don't miss this. That's what we're put here for. But we are created to ultimately spend eternity with him in heaven. You see, this is the stopgap. This is where you serve him. This is where you come to know him. This is where you glorify him with your life. But you are ultimately created to spend eternity with him. That's what you're created for. We are created ultimately for heaven. And that's the promise that Jesus gives about Peter's future and about our future is that, that uh, eternity awaits us. The message is this, Jesus doesn't give up on us. Don't you give up. Because he doesn't give up on you. And no matter how, how you have failed him, he still loves you and he will forgive you and, and you can uh, still be used by him. I mean, you may be watching, listening in this live audience. You may have said, nah, I don't know about me. I, I can't recover from my failure. My failure is so grievous. Or my failure is beyond his grace. Or, or, or nobody has failed like me. If, if you knew how bad I've failed. But I want to tell you something this morning. The fact is, all of us are failures. Every one of us. That's why Paul says in Romans 3.23, For all have sinned. You know what sin is? It's failure. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We're all failures. We've been failing ever since Adam. Abraham failed. Did you know that? David failed. Jacob failed. I mean, look, we come up from a long list of failures. But yet God used them. Do you know the Apostle Paul wrote about his own failings? I mean, after he was a Christian, Romans chapter 7 is a remarkable chapter in, in which Paul talks about his own failure and, and that this, there's this war going on. And so why do you fail? Why do you continue to fail? Because there's a war going on. If you don't understand that, the, the enemy of your soul is going to continue to lead you into failure, 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 failure. The apostle Paul says in Romans 7, so I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, Evil lies close at hand. Doesn't it seem that way? I mean, you when you say, I'm going to, God, I'm going to do it the right way. I'm going to do it your way. And then you discover, man, but there's this evil pull always nearby. He says, for I delight in the law, the word of God, in my inner being. He says, inside it resonates with me. But I see in my members, my flesh, that there's another law waging war against the law of my mind and it makes me, it's captive, captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. And then listen to what Paul says. He's talking about himself. He said, wretched man that I am. Who, who is going to deliver me from the body of this death? 
I just keep on failing. Who's going to, the thing he says earlier, he says, what I want to do, I can't seem to do. And the things that I don't want to do are the things I see. see. What is he saying? I keep on failing. I keep on failing. But who said, he said, I'm wretched. Who will deliver me? Thank goodness he answers his own question. He says in the end, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. He said, man, when I look at all this, how am I going to find victory? He says, in Jesus Christ, my Lord, that's who I find. That's where I'll find victory. And you remember I said at the outset, how you respond to failure makes a difference. How you respond to failure. Well, let me close by giving you three things to do after you've failed. Three things to do after you've failed. What do you do? Well, the first thing you do is you must be reminded of the words of Christ. You've got to remember what, what Scripture says. You've got to remember what Christ has said. You, you, you go back and say, well, what does the Bible say about my failure? What does the Bible say about me? That's where you start. You go back there. In Matthew 26 and verse 75, in this uh, same context that we've been looking at this morning, this is what verse 75 says. And Peter remembered the saying of Jesus. Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. See, you say, yeah, he remembered after the fact. But he did remember. And it says, and he went out and he wept bitterly. You know what Peter did? He remembered the words. In fact, you know, I've been telling you in these messages I've been preaching out of here that there's a common phrase that Jesus uses in these chapters to his disciples. He keeps saying to them this, these things I tell you, these things I tell you in advance, in advance, I'm telling you, because when it comes, I want you to remember that I told you so it'll start to make sense. And that's what it says Peter remembered. What Jesus had told him about how he would deny, and then he wept bitterly. You know what happened? You know what the weeping was? It was repentance. It was repentance. It was repentance. On that day, for me, when I knew that I had failed, and I, I, I wept, I, that, that sentence, there couldn't be a sentence that described what, what I experienced better than weeping bitterly. I, I, I did. I, I wept. I sobbed. But I repented. And I said, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I repented. And I remembered the word of Scripture that says that if we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know, recently the Lord was reminding me about all of this and I came across this wonderful psalm that says that you were angry with me, but you turned from your anger to comfort my soul. You turn, that's what God does with failures when you bring them to him and say, God, I, I failed I wonder this morning, is there any failure in your life that you haven't dealt with? You just tried to get past it. Don't just try to get past it and go on. And You know, I, I, I got to thinking when I was working on this message, 
God would mightily use Peter. You know, Acts, I mean, just incredible. But don't you figure that all through the rest of his life, every once in a while he would remember, yeah, but there was that time when I failed. Now, if that's, that's all you do, the devil's going to use that against you. So that's why you have to partner that with confession. But, but I'm sure Peter grieved on some level probably the rest of his life, anytime he thought about that. But what he didn't do is allow the devil to make it a, a, a ball and chain around his neck to keep him from being used by God. I, I don't know. I think... I think this failure that I've talked about is just one of many in my life, but one that was very profound to me. And I don't know, here I am a year later, and when I talk about it, I still get emotional about it. I'm not sure that I will ever completely get beyond remembering that day and seeing that woman and that little baby in that car. I know I've moved on and I am forgiven of that, but just the thought of failing Jesus, just the thought of failing Jesus. And I, can I tell you, I hope I never get past remembering how I failed Jesus. But I don't want the devil to be able to use it as a ball and chain to keep me from what I will be doing for Jesus. Does that make sense? Peter, he remembered the words of Christ. He repented. He wept bitterly. When you have failed God, remember what he says in his word. Confess, repent. That's where you start. Number two, you must be renewed by the resurrection. Here's a good, this is the good stuff right here. How do you renew your soul? You renew your soul by remembering that Jesus Christ conquered the grave. And because he lives, I live. Listen, this is Peter, about Peter. It says, but Peter rose and he ran to the tomb. And stooping and looking in, he saw the linen clothes by themselves. And he went home marveling at what happened. Some, some translations say he went away rejoicing. This is the same Peter that had failed so deeply for Jesus is now rejoicing greatly. Why? Because the resurrection meant everything that Jesus said was true, which included forgiveness for sin. And the resurrection showed that Jesus was exactly who he said he was. And this same Peter that had failed is now rejoicing greatly because the resurrection, the fact that Jesus lived, brings new life and power to go forward. Peter didn't stay at the tomb. In fact, he would go back and they would praise God together. All of them would praise God together. And then Jesus would appear in their midst and Jesus would say to them, I want you to, to go to a room and I want you to wait there until the Spirit of God falls on you. They didn't even fully understand what the Spirit of God was. But he said, you just go wait. Don't stay here. The tomb is empty because the tomb is empty. Everything has changed. And listen, uh, 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 people, because Jesus Christ 
lives, you have new power and new life. And they went back and they waited. When you failed, let the renewal of your life be based in the fact that Jesus Christ died for your failures and he conquered the grave and brought victory in order to give you a life and a future. And that leads to the last thing that I show you, and that is when you fail Christ, not only be reminded of the words of Christ, not only be renewed by the resurrection, but listen, be restored by the power of the Holy Spirit. Acts 1.8, as I just said, they went to Jerusalem and they waited there until power from on high came down. And then it says, and then they went out into the world in a new power, not in their own power, not in their own strength. When you fail God, you can't live in your own strength and make any progress in the kingdom. But God has sent to us through the resurrection, the, the, uh, the Holy Spirit uh, from above. And, and, Acts 4.8 is, is a verse that I love because it talks about this same Peter, you know, this failure Peter. It says, then Peter filled with the Holy Spirit said to them. This same Peter that had stood before some of the people he's now standing before and he said, no, I don't know him. No, I'm not one of his. No, I'm not a follower. He's now standing before the same people and it says full of the Holy Spirit and he spoke to them and listen it was so powerful that thousands of people said we need Christ this is Peter the failure who's now Peter the faithful because of the Holy Spirit the resurrection and the Holy Spirit change everything he's been restored He's been renewed, and he's been reminded. Now, I, I, I close and tell you this, that failure is an opportunity for you to surrender your life to his power. Failure is an opportunity for you to say, God, I can't do this, but I know you can. But power in your life to go forward from failure comes only when Jesus Christ is Lord and his Holy Spirit rules over us. Many years ago, D.L. Moody, international uh, evangelist used by God, he was speaking to a large audience and he held up a glass, an empty glass, and he said, can anybody tell me how to get the air out of this glass? Some guy in the audience yells out, uh, you can pump the air out. To which Moody replied and said, Yes, you can pump the air out, but it will produce a vacuum and that'll crack the glass. Others, several others offered some ways to get the air out. But finally, Moody picked up a pitcher of water and he took the glass and he filled the uh, glass full of water to the very top. He said the best way to get the air out of the glass is to fill it with something else. And he said... He went on to explain that victory in the Christian life is not accomplished by sucking out a sin here and a sin there, but is rather victory, uh, victory is accomplished by filling the hole with the Spirit of God that forces the other out. All of us have failed, but we don't have to live as failures. Amen? 
Because Jesus died for your failures. He died for my failures. And he was raised so that we could have this victorious life and victorious power of the Holy Spirit. But the Spirit is the key to go forward. You see, the Spirit validates who we really are. In Romans, it says, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. In other words, if the Spirit of God is not operating in your life, you need to ask God, am I, even, do I, really, am I just religious or do I really have a relationship with you? Because the Spirit not only empowers us, it validates who we, we are in the kingdom. So I ask you today, have you let your failures destroy you? Or have you turned your failures over to God and allowed God to redeem you and to renew you and to restore you for what he has before you? What about your failures? Would you bow your head and close your eyes? No one's looking about in this place. Lord, we all have failed you. It's embarrassing, Lord, that our failures are embarrassing. They embarrass us, but they embarrass you, I know. And Father, I pray for any that are listening or watching this, that right now, Lord, you'd help them to bring any failure that they have to the foot of the cross, to deposit it there, to thank you and praise you that you have died for their failure and that you have life beyond their failure. I pray, Father, that you will fall on us with your Holy Spirit, that you will empower us, God, with your Holy Spirit, that you will fill us as your vessel with your Holy Spirit, that, Father, we will walk in the hope of the resurrection, and, Father, that we will allow you to take us beyond our failure into faithfulness to you. I pray that you speak to us right now, Father, in these moments of invitation. And I pray that if there are any listening to my voice, the sound of my voice, that have not trusted you, God, that they'll start there, that that's where it starts, that they have to surrender to you. Would you cause them to come and give them their lives to you? Father, for those who have who've allowed their failures to minimize and shut down their effectiveness for you today, let them deal with their failure. Speak to us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me for our invitation? Perhaps this morning you identified with some of the things that I said. There's some failure in your life, and you need to deal with that failure. You really do. If you're going to go forward, deal with the failures. Start there. The good news is when you bring yourself to him and you thrust yourself upon his mercy, he is a God of compassion and love and grace and forgiveness. Maybe you're here this morning and you've never put your trust in Christ or you're not sure that there's no Holy Spirit bearing witness in your soul that you are a child of God. Let's change that today. Maybe you're here this morning and you say, I am a child of God. I need a family to belong to and I'd like to become a part of the Ridgecrest family. Will you slip out? Will you come down here? We'll take care of all of that. Maybe you're here this morning and you need to come and just talk to him. Kneel around this altar. You know what? There's something powerful about bending a knee before God. There's just it's a, something powerful about that. It's taught in the scripture to bow before him. And one day every knee will bow. 
just something about it. Maybe you need to come and bow and talk to him. You're praying for someone, praying about something. You've got a decision to make. You, or you need to pray, talk to him. You've got some failure. You want to talk to him and come and lay it at the altar before him. You say, yeah, but, you know, if you come down publicly like that, people see you and think, what's their problem? I want to tell you something. They, they might come down. You might come down and you say, they'll, they'll think I'm a failure. Let me help you with that. You are. All of us are. Don't worry about what somebody else thinks. Worry about what God thinks. After the first service, I told that story, and I really had a hard time. I didn't keep my emotions in check, but I told that story, and a man came up to me afterwards, and he said, well, I hope she didn't, and he, I won't go into detail, I hope that woman didn't drive off thinking. So, and I said to him, I said, you don't understand. It wasn't about what she thought. It's about what God thought. Dear friend, listen to me. You know what the devil tell you? What are people going to think? God, help us to quit worrying about what other people are going to think about us and do our business with God. So as we lead into our invitation, will you slip out? Will you come on? Whatever that involves for you, I don't know. You just come on right now. You come on.